Can I invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 to 21, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 21. Paul is giving a defense of his apostleship against the so-called super-apostles, but he's also sharing his heart motivation for serving the Lord. Give careful attention to the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Pray with me. Father God, we pray that your spirit would work by and with the word in these moments to renew our vision for your work through us in the world to which you call us. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Um, I confess, when I was a a college student at Wheaton, um, I I thought myself kind of as a a, a judge of people that would come to give lectures at the college. We had all kinds of special lectures, uh, academics, sometimes uh, ministry folk that would come and uh, would share about their lives in ministry. And so when uh, a friend dragged me off to hear Corey Ten Boom, I wasn't expecting much. And when this little old granny spoke, the walls shook in the room. Uh, She was just simply sharing her testimony of how God had worked through her and her family uh, in their work in Amsterdam during World War II, the things recounted in the book, The Hiding Place, how God had sustained her when they, uh, she and her sister Betsy were taken to Ravensbrook, how she had forgiven the very guard uh, who had taunted them during uh, her imprisonment at Ravensbrook, and talking about the hope that we have in the gospel. And she told a story about a young man uh, that wouldn't have been much older than some of the teenagers here, right? Uh, his name was Petey. And uh, what had happened is they had gotten word that the Gestapo was going to hit a particular orphanage where there were 100 Jewish babies. And so Corey and her dad and the rest of the folks called the team together. They went to work. And before the day was through, those 100 babies had been taken to safety, right? Um, And so they're sitting around the fireplace after these events. 
And Petey is drinking a cup of cocoa and having scone. And he says to Corey, I believe we do the most important work there is, just saving lives from the morning till the evening. And Corey looked at him and said, Petey, there is one thing that's more important, and that's telling men and women and boys and girls about Jesus. Petey said, ah, that's good work for my pastor. Corey said, the day will come when you will realize the most important work God has for you. Six weeks later, Petey was arrested by the Gestapo and sentenced to death. The last week of his life, he wrote a letter to Corey, and he said, all the men and boys in my cell have been sentenced to death. But I am so grateful that I can tell them that if they would believe in Jesus, that when they would die, they, they would go to the house of the Father. Now I know what the most important thing is for me to do. And Corey looked at us. There were almost a 1,000 uh, college kids right there as she was speaking. And she said, don't wait till the last week of your life to figure out what your purpose is. Dr. Uh, Robert G. Rayburn, who founded Covenant College, I, I shared a story about him in his chaplaincy days last time I was here. Um, he, he was a fascinating person, a professor, a scholar, a military chaplain, a paratrooper. Uh, he also was um, someone that loved to lead music. And towards the end of his life, after he had retired, uh, as a, a senior seminary student, I was interning at a church where he was the minister of music. And Dr. Rayburn said that he hated, during these open hymn sings, when people would request, I love to tell the story. He said, because they always felt like they were perjuring themselves, right? Do, do we really love to tell the story? Are, are we excited about what Jesus has done in our hearts and lives? Now, look, I know that most of us are not gifted by the Spirit with the spiritual gift of evangelism, but of course, all of us are called to give a reason for the hope that we have. What would it take for us to sing songs like that or the college hymn at Covenant? All for Jesus, all my beings, ransom powers, all my thoughts and words and doings, all my days and all my hours. Paul says it takes for us to be captive, compelled by the love of Christ. And he's going to talk here about having a new priority, a new perspective, and a new passionate purpose. First of all, a new priority. Verse 14 uh, Paul says, the love of Christ compels us, or in the old authorized version, constraineth us, right? I think the ESV says controls us. It's, it's all getting at the same idea of metal being extruded toward, through a press uh, under great pressure. Um, if you're kind of into the, the original text, this is a subjective and active sense. This is not uh, Paul talking about his love for Jesus. He's talking about the reality of the impact of Jesus' love for him. Having loved him before the creation of the world, having perfectly fulfilled the law and imputed his righteousness to Paul, and having borne Paul's sins on the cross by his passive obedience, all of that is kind of in view. And Paul says, when I, when I really think about that, when I really focus on it, it just melts my heart. Uh, John Calvin actually put it this way. He said, if we be not harder than iron, we cannot refrain from devoting ourselves entirely to Christ. 
when we consider what great love he hath exercised towards us when he endured death in our stead. And so Paul goes on to draw out the implications. Christ's love compels us. Why? Well, because we're convinced that one died for all. There's that substitutionary atonement, not all without exception, but all without distinction. People of every tribe and tongue and nation. One died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Beloved, we are not our own. We belong to Christ. Our time, our talent, our treasure, it's all his. George Murray, president of Columbia International University, one time was speaking in a missions conference, and he said, um, where are you investing your resources these days? Right? Are you investing in equity? Are you investing in eternity? What would it be like for you and I every morning, and I hope this is the case for all of us, to wake up and say, good morning, Lord. Don't know what you've got for me today, but I am all in, all for Jesus, Christ preeminent in all things. Whatever you have set as divine appointments throughout the day, help me be ready, help me be loving, help me be a witness to the risen Lord Jesus. Uh, yesterday was a memorial service for a dear friend and a former Mission to the World colleague. Uh, nobody that you would know, his name was Charlie Troxell, but he was really well known in the St. Louis area. Uh, he had been a DJ, uh, first with KXOK, which was a major market young people's um, outlet, and then uh, later on with KMOX, where he had the handle Charlie Brown. And with their 55,000-watt station, they would cover much of the Midwest with their broadcast. And Charlie and his wife, Jan, had gone um, to church, kind of cultural Christians. Uh, one night, uh, Rodney Sturtz, our senior pastor, took an EE team, and they, they went and shared the gospel with Charlie. And if you ever heard his voice, it was this big, booming voice that would just fill any space that he was in. Uh, led them to faith in Jesus Christ, and they became part of our church. And at the missions conference in 1991, Dr. Paul Freed, president of Transworld Radio, was speaking uh, about the work on Guam. And Charlie uh, con contacted me a couple of days later. Kathy and I were itinerating with Mission to the World to go to Tanzania. And he said, I, I, think, I think God wants me to, to go work with Transworld Radio. And I said, Charlie, that's crazy. You have this amazing platform. People recognize your voice instantly. Everywhere you go in St. Louis, two-state area, right, the major metropolitan area, people know who you are. Why would you go to Guam? And I tried to talk him out of it, but the Holy Spirit was calling, and Charlie and Jan um, gave up their condo. He quit his job at KMOX. And they moved to the island of Guam, where they would serve for 12 years with Transworld Radio and Pacific Islands Bible College. It was the most extraordinary thing I'd ever seen. To go from popularity to obscurity for the privilege of telling people about Jesus and Charlie, whenever you would run into him, he would just, um, and the guy could talk, 
Uh, one, one time I made the mistake during an evening service of giving him 10 minutes to give a report from the field and he took 45 and all I could do was give the benediction because we were out of time. Um, but he loved to talk about what God was doing. He just never got over the fact that God had given him the privilege of going to the islands with the good news of Jesus Christ. I bet the Apostle Paul would have said, Charlie, you go get him, right? We would have a new priority that we would live our lives solely for him. It it wouldn't be a question of asking how much we have to give to the Lord in our tithes and offering, but how much does he want us to keep and what does he want us to do with it? And when we're considering uh, job possibilities, where are the needs greatest? Where's the most strategic opportunity for us to make an impact for the kingdom, whatever our professional calling might be? And then Paul goes on. uh, Verse 16, he says, We need a new perspective. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Um, when I was a young attorney, my, uh, my daughter came home from Bible study fellowship. She was in the children's program and I said, honey, what'd you learn about Jesus today? And she said, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And I gave her a hug, but the words really pierced my heart because as an attorney, I was taught to evaluate people in terms of their influence, their money, their wealth, their power. And Paul says, you know, I I used to look at people like that as well. He says, I even looked at Christ in that way, after the flesh, it says in the ESV, at one time. Paul says, I saw him as just a misguided rabbi who died on a cross. But now, I don't see him that way anymore. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, and you have to to, um, have a little trigger uh, right there that says, en Christo, in Christ, is a technical phrase of Paul's that refers to our union with Christ, what we read about from Ephesians 2 this morning, that we have been raised from death to life, united to him by the Spirit, raised up into the heavenlies in a way that we cannot quite understand. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And the source text just simply says, if anyone is in Christ, boom, new creation reality, part of a new creation community. We are part of the body of Christ with the saints that are with the Lord and those who are yet to be born. The old has gone. The new has come. Beloved, you have never met, C.S. Lewis said, a mere mortal. Every person that you'll meet today or that you'll meet tomorrow is headed either towards heaven or towards hell. And the way that we respond to them as image bearers of Jesus, of, sorry, image bearers um, created by God is going to impact their journey to that destiny. We deal with those who will one day be, Lewis says, either immortal horrors such as you would meet only in a nightmare or beings who would be, uh, we would be severely tempted 
to bow down and worship. What should that do? How should that change us? I used to have a button um, back in the old days. Uh, they had a whole bunch of letters and, and spelled out, please be patient with me. God isn't finished with me yet. Uh, it certainly should affect the way that we treat one another within the church, right? Um, Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, talking about how to handle controversy within the church. And he says, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments, because you know they produce quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful, those who oppose him. He must gently instruct. We need to be careful, beloved, the way we talk to each other. And the things we post on the internet, on blogs and on Instagram and other social media websites. Look, we're going to spend eternity together as the Lord's people. And we need to love one another deeply from the heart, as the Apostle Peter says. Um, so it, it changes the way. We need to be patient with one another. Uh, not all of us are at the same place in our maturity. All of us have blind spots. All of us struggle with our brokenness. All of us need the gospel. And we treat one another accordingly. Of course, unbelievers as well. We don't write anyone off as reprobate. That is God's decision. That has nothing to do with us. We are to look at people and to see them as image bearers who need to hear how they could have their broken image restored to the true likeness of Jesus Christ, who died to offer them the hope of the gospel. Paul says, um, or rather Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15, In your hearts set apart Christ as Lord, and always be ready to give a reason, an apologia, an apologia, an apologetic for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Let's be careful how we talk to our neighbors. Let's speak to them in ways that attract them to the faith that we have. Um, I mentioned that we never write anyone off. There was a student that I was sorely tempted to write off in Cape Town. Uh, his name was Roy. He had grown up in Durban on the east coast of the country. Um, he was a Hindu. Um, and until the Lord saved him, and had become an automotive engineer. And once he came to Christ, uh, and he came to Christ when his young wife took her own life, um, he was in despair, found no answers in Hinduism, and a friend shared the gospel with him. He quit his job and moved to Cape Town to come to the college to train for the ministry. The, there was just one problem. He was the most hopeless student I've ever had. Right? So when I would give him a written exam, didn't matter what it was or what portion of scripture it was over, he would always do the same thing. He would quote back the scripture to me, and he would say, praise God for so great a salvation. Well, that's wonderful, but how am I supposed to give him a grade for that? Right? I tried oral exams. The guy was hopeless. But when it came to practical outreach, there was nobody like him. He would get up before classes in the morning, go down to the harbor, which was just across the street from the college, where the Muslim fishermen were setting out for the day. And he would go and pray with them that God would give them a good catch. He would give them safety at sea. And then he'd come and he'd go to class. 
and do miserably, and then he'd have lunch, and then he'd rush back down to the harbor, and he would hand out Christian literature and greet them as they returned uh, from their day's labors and share Jesus with them. And he spoke with such wisdom and power that they could not resist this guy. Um, And he was bringing people to faith in Christ. The most amazing thing I'd ever seen uh, in a student doing this. And he wasn't getting credit for any of this, right? He was just doing it because he loved Jesus and he couldn't wait to tell others. Well, one day we were going to have a vacation, like spring break, and he came to me and I said to him, Roy, what are you going to do over the back? And he said, well, I'm, I'm going to Utshorn. Now, Utshorn, uh, Joel, is sort of like the place you grew up in Arizona, right? It's the back of beyond. There is nothing out there but ostriches and desert and sand. And I said, why on earth are you going to Utshorn? And he said, well, um, I heard that there are 15 kids who are AIDS orphans, and I want to start a children's home. And I said, Roy, that's ridiculous. We're going to have to have a business plan. Uh, We'll have to contact major donors in Australia and Canada and the United States and the UK. I said, I I figure maybe in two years you'll be in a place to pursue this. He said, no, I'm going this weekend. God told me. And I said, well, okay, brother, have a great vacation. Vacation passed. Roy came back and I said, well, Roy, how'd it go? He said, well, I got my children's home. And I said, how on earth did that ever happen? He said, well, I went to the local church and asked the dominee if I could have five minutes to tell the congregation about these kids. And so I got up and said, there are 15 AIDS orphans in this community that have no place to live. Would somebody be willing to donate a house for a children's home? And I said, Roy, what happened? He said, nothing. Absolute silence. What'd you do? I waited. How long did you wait? He said, well, five minutes, then 10 minutes. And then finally, somebody raised their hand, uh, an older couple in the back, and they said, well, we have a rental property we're not using. You can have it for a children's home. And Roy said, great. Now all I need are house parents. Who'd like to volunteer? And they said, Roy, what did they say? He said, they didn't say anything. And I just waited until finally a retired couple raised their hands and said, we'll do it. And another couple said, we'll help. And in the power of the Spirit, Roy got his children's home. Look, we don't write anyone off. You might think that a Hindu is beyond the grace of God. But in the hands of the Holy Spirit, he is a mighty instrument of reconciliation. Because Paul's going to go on and tell us that that is the ministry to which we are called. Um, He has... Uh, Sorry, all this is from God, verse 19, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, God's initiative in salvation, right? And and I'd love to start talking about election and predestination, but uh, time is getting away, so we'll save that for another time. But God's initiative, seeking a bride for the Son from every people, tribe, and ethno-linguistic group on the face of the earth. All this is from God, right? And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us, to the church, the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Paul says, look, there is no other plan. 
Yes, God is sovereign in election and predestination, and and we confess that salvation is all of grace. But beloved, you and I are the means by which he is going to accomplish the ingathering of his elect. Through our prayer, through our perseverance, through our going as ambassadors and representatives of the king. If your nation called on you to represent it abroad, would you say no? If the king of the universe called on you to represent his kingdom and to tell the good news about his son, crucified, dead, buried, risen, ascended, and reigning king, would you say no? And of course, Paul says no. We'd never say no. We are therefore Christ ambassadors. It is active and indicative. This is our DNA. Just as my golden retriever can't help chase squirrels, so you and I can't help be ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you, we beg you, in the King James, we beseech you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Do you feel the force of that? Look, this isn't about guilt. Up in verse 11, Paul says, yes, knowing therefore the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade men. We will give an account one day. But here he's talking about being motivated by the love of Jesus, what he has done for us. To implore others, be reconciled to God. Why? Well, verse 21, as beautiful a statement of double imputation as you're going to find anywhere in the scripture. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He lived the life that you and I could never live. He died the death we dare never die. And by faith in him, united to him by the Spirit. We are given new life in the Spirit, and part of that that comes along is for us to live our lives solely for the King as his ambassadors. Look, I'm not talking about quitting your job and becoming a vocational missionary. Well, I I would like to talk to you about that, but, but that's not my point. Every job you have, every place you go, young people, the teams and music groups and marching bands that you're part of, you are strategically placed by the king in a part of his harvest field where men and women and boys and girls need to hear about Jesus. You don't have to have gone to Westminster Seminary to share what God has done in your life. We just have to be so gripped by his love. And have the Holy Spirit change our perspective to give us a new passionate purpose to introduce people to the Savior of our souls, the joy of our lives, our portion forever. Uh, we, we have sung before that great song, Jesus, priceless treasure, source of purest pleasure. Do you believe that? Um, another missions conference, another year. Uh, I had uh, preached a, a message, and afterwards, two young women came to my office, and they said, um, we hear the call, we're going to, uh, one was a businesswoman, the other was a, um, a critical care nurse, and they said, we're going we're gonna to move into the city uh, so that we can do ministry. And I said, no, you're not. I know your fathers. They will blame me. You're not going to do this. It's dangerous. And, uh, of course, within a month, they had gotten an apartment. They had moved down into South St. Louis uh, City. And they had connected with an Afghan refugee uh, woman and her daughter. 
And they just befriended her. She was a neighbor. And so they began to help her. There are all kinds of things when you arrive in a new country that you, you have to figure out how to do. Get a driver's license, get checked in with the Social Security office, learn how to get your electricity hooked up, how to buy groceries. And they just walked through life with her, serving her as best they could. Uh, it turned out that they kind of clicked, made a connection, and so they began to get invited to come to, to Afghan weddings. Did you know that there's a huge Afghan refugee community in St. Louis? I did not. Um, but in fact, there is. And so they would go to weddings and to funerals. And every Sunday afternoon, they would have tea at this woman's house with her and her teenage daughter. And one day they showed up after about a year and a half. And the woman and her daughter met them at the door, and they said, we want to become Christians. And Amy and Sherry looked at each other, and they looked at this woman and her daughter and said, but you're Muslim. And they said, yeah, but you have loved us so well. And, and you've shared with us that Jesus is the source of your love. And if that's who makes you who you are, then we want to know Jesus too. See, beloved, it's not rocket science. Sorry, Dan. Um, it's just living life as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, looking for opportunities to bear witness to the Lord who has loved you and bought you for his glory. May God give us grace that this week we would be his ambassadors. Pray with me. Father God, um, Lord, we don't want to be motivated by guilt. We want to be motivated by gratitude by recognizing that Jesus is our only comfort in life and in death, that that would make us wholeheartedly willing to live our lives for him. Father, we pray that you would do this through your spirit, because apart from your spirit, we don't have what it takes. But we are confident that you will use each one to represent your king and the kingdom that is coming. We pray this in the King's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.